Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, minor orthodoxy, everything in between. Molly, somebody actually gave me a comment this week that we should not call it RZ. And I asked her why, and she didn't explain. I'm pretty sure what she meant was, she's like a fan of the show, I'm pretty sure what she meant was that it's not, we don't just talk about religious Zionism and, and maybe other people are, would, are turned off by the topic, but do you have any, any well, suggestions? Well, well, the truth is, I thought that in particular, um, I wasn't sure whether the title that you gave to this one was, was, was um, accurate, because in, the, in, in our last conversation, I, I agree with her, it, it was about um, happiness and meaning and success and living a meaningful life and we we alluded a little, particularly you Ruby, alluded a little bit to modern orthodox community but we didn't talk a lot about modern orthodoxy, we really just talked about the issues and I, I, I agreed with her about that, that like we did it almost a disservice to our conversation by trying to limit, first of all we're trying to limit it to something and also by, by describing it as something that it wasn't really, it ended up being a, a more broad ranging conversation so um, well, what, in this but particular it's, the case, name of the podcast I, is RZ Weekly so I mean maybe I know but maybe the, maybe the title of the that one should have just been like happiness and success not necessarily what do we call in the religious oh, modern orthodoxy. yeah I, I understand I, I hear that, that's fair um, yeah. um, okay we'll have to think about that did you see my subtitle from last week I don't know what you mean by subtitle. Oh, I'll share it to you. I called it Adam 1 versus Adam 2. Oh, I did not. So that's, you should have called it. You should have called it happiness versus success, Adam 1 versus Adam 2, and taken out the RZ. I, I, then, then, I, like, then throngs of people would have been like, Adam 1, Adam 2. i got to hear this. <laughs> right, <that. laughs> Molly's take on Adam 1 versus Adam 2. Yeah. Later, showdown between Dr. Grach and Professor Tversky on the quad <laughs> in Harvard. Um, okay, today we're going to talk about Jewish education, particularly in the, in the era of, of COVID. We're going to talk about it as educators and as, as parents. And we're going to discuss the obvious challenge of the experience from the educator's perspective. First, I'm going to, I, I wasn't a formal educator over the past year, but both Molly and Johnny were in the seminary system. Then we'll turn to parenting. And then Johnny and I are going to turn to, a, to an online solution that we've been developing. So uh, first I want to talk, I want to ask both Molly and, uh, and Johnny. We'll talk with Johnny. Johnny, you were teaching in SEM. You were teaching um, you know, your regular classes. All of a sudden, Corona comes along. The whole thing shuts down. First, were you teaching online to girls in Israel, or did they all left, and then you were immediately teaching to the students in Israel? So, uh, at, at that point, I was actually teaching in three seminaries, and also I'm involved in Matan. So, let's, for, the, for the most part, um, in some seminaries, a great majority of students chose to leave. Uh, I must say that all the places where I worked, they were tremendously um, uh, hospitable and making clear that you have a home uh, and if you want to stay, please feel free to do so. But a number of people felt that uh, it was right and safe and they felt more comfortable going back home with so much uncertainty. So in some cases, the great, great majority of my students were in the US. Uh, and as a result of that, we changed the timing of our classes. In some other instances or other seminaries, uh, some students were here and some students were there. We maintained the class times here and had those who wished to join online because there were afternoon and evening classes for me and also had recorded classes. Uh, and there were times when I was physically present for some of the students in Israel while also having a computer or phone open for those who were joining virtually. So we're talking about a group of very motivated students. They've been in seminary for most of the year. How did you, how was your perception of their, of their participation? And obviously, it's a great disappointment for them to have been sort of 
you know, ejected from seminary and thrown out of, and they weren't thrown out, but like most of them just had to leave Israel and they lost that end of their, they lost the end of their seminary experience, which must have been difficult and painful in and of itself. But I want to focus on the learning experience per se. Talk about how, what, what you felt the teaching and learning experience was in the student, for the students being over Zoom. And, uh, and talk about A, how you did it, some of it was recorded. How did you do it? Did they learn Bechavruta? Did you try to maintain the same sense of schedule? Or did it all switch? And, and how was it as an experience as a teacher? And how do you think the students had experienced the, the study? Okay, so first and foremost, both as a teacher and also trying to put my feet in the shoes of my students, there was a profound sense of loss. You know, there was nothing quite like being able to teach students in a room. And there's an energy that's created by a physical uh, space where everybody's eager to learn and the teacher's passionate to teach. And when you're teaching some, if not all of your students virtually, the energy is a very different one. Notwithstanding the fact that I was so incredibly proud by all of my students who were so dedicated, so loyal, and none of them in none of the places missed one lesson. In fact, we gave a lot more lessons than that, and that's a credit to the seminaries and a credit to the students. Nevertheless, there was this very, very difficult transition. Because we knew each other, by that point I knew my students, my students knew me, that sense of trust and understanding meant that we each kind of sensed how each were feeling and pushed ourselves to adapt to this new reality whilst obviously being very very empathetic um, and there are many different tools that online education provides some use zoom some used other platforms some used breakout rooms depending on what i was teaching the kind of pace that i thought i was going to be covering outside of online teaching meaning pre-corona shifted in some instances, it was a little bit quicker. In some instances, it was a little bit slower. Well, what, do you think, what do you think was the, that det determined whether it was quicker or slower? Well, could, the example, kid, could the students participate? Was there back and forth? A hundred percent. Absolutely. In fact, on all my classes I do online, not just during Corona and seminaries, but I run an online kollel and, and, and I teach classes in Matan, which have already been for quite some months online. The back and forth is absolutely necess necessary, both online and in person. However, it takes sometimes a little bit more nudging when it's online because people are a little bit more isolated at home. So rather than in a, a regular class when you've known students already for some months, you'd say hello to each other, have a brief schmooze and get on with learning, especially when people were thousands of miles away, the schmooze would be a little bit longer. Just checking in, just finding out how students are doing, asking you know, sincere questions about what's going on in their lives, and once when we felt that we were ready to learn, that we could get on and I could count on them to be themselves and they knew that I was there for them, then we started our learning. So the warm-up was a little bit longer on online learning, especially after the, you know, really the, the, the crisis in many ways that a lot of people felt, having left with very, very little notice a place where they'd cr uh, created a, a learning place called home. You know, some people left with... 24, 48 hours notice, packed their bags, ran. There were very, very few goodbyes amongst peers, let alone with teachers. And all of a sudden, you're seeing on the other side. And while, you know, uh, I'm not a qualified counselor, it's not my tough kid, and there are some great uh, counselors working with schools. Yeah, we're going to get to one in about a second, right? Okay. Right. Ne nevertheless, giving more time to the kind of regular 
uh, chillax back and forth that is necessary to to affirm the fact that we're people we understand where things are we're not just here to cover learning and i recognize how things are very very different obviously it was part and parcel of the experience but ultimately i've got to say again i was incredibly proud of the places i teach in and incredibly proud of my students Although, just, uh, just to conclude, I know Mali wants to add, one of the classes I teach is the thought of Soloveitchik, and in his essay, Catharsis, he talks about, in many ways, finding meaning, purpose, and, and sh expressing a certain sense of loyalty in moments of coming close, but also being far away. And I felt that that's what we were going through, uh, and I felt our students did remarkably well. But still... There's, there was a real loss and some for example are coming back even though they weren't planning to in order to try and help reach a certain sense of closure thanks johnny uh, i want to turn to mali mali I, I, I really want to focus on the educational aspect uh, uh of the as a teacher not necessarily as a counselor I, mean, I, know, I know for a fact we had talked about it that you had spent hours and hours dealing as a as a social worker and as a counselor in school but i want to focus educationally on your experiences how was it for you, the shift? How effective do you feel you were online versus your ability to connect and to teach as, a, as an educator uh, you know, over distance on Zoom? Yeah, those are really good and important questions. Uh, we also had a similar issue. Uh, we, we actually had, I want to say similar, but it was actually sort of unique because we had 21 students who actually stayed in the country. So we were running, it was as if we were running two seminaries. We, this is? Mm -hmm. MMI. MMI. MMI had 21 Israel, girls remaining in Israel. And then they had the majority of their students, uh, I don't know what the number was, I don't know what the number was last year, 60, 70 who were home. And so we had to figure out how to accommodate both the girls who were here and the girls who were there. So timing-wise, right, uh, as, as Johnny described, if all the girls are in Chutzlarek, so it's very clear, you start your, your classes in the afternoon. We had girls who wanted to be learning in the morning. Then we had girls. So by the end of the day, they, the, the end they settled it so that. Did you, did you end up teaching double basically? Or no, what we, we ended up doing up. was um, I, I I taught one of my classes in the morning um, for the Israelis, what we called the Israelis, <laughs> right? And then I was very mockpid that I wanted to teach my class in the evening um, for the Shana Aleph because I knew that they were really struggling because what was happening for them was that many of their classes, their teachers were teaching the, the group who were in Israel, they were recorded and they, they were basically listening all day. They were sitting at home and as Johnny said, like, I mean, my students know that I feel this way, Yasher Koach Gadol to these girls, the mysterious nefesh that they did, they literally would wake up in the morning and all day listen to these recordings. Um, of their classes. Oh, that sounds and like, and it's, it, it's, it's it like was, doubly not, painful. It was because extremely you can, you're not painful. Yes, it was extremely wow. painful. So what we discovered was recordings are hard and not an optimal, uh, optimal way to do this. Um, much, much better to do live. I think that's kind of obvious, but that's the first statement to be made. Even live, though, as, as Johnny alluded to, the interactive issue is a real one. I did find the interactive, especially I teach. I teach very interactively, uh, which I even realized more when I was trying to do this Zoom. I realized how often I ask questions, how often I elicit the answers from my students. I teach even without raising hands, like informally, like I'll start a sentence and wait for them to give the answer. It's, it's very much part of the way I teach. And on Zoom, that was much harder. Um, and even though, you know, Johnny's right, the students were all extremely um, 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 of goodwill. 
And so I would say to them, I want you to talk, I want you to raise your hand, but again, with the mute and with the unmute, and Johnny made a good point, which is warm them up a little bit, it helps. I found that a few other things, and I think this is a good point, an important point. we're doing over Zoom also, and there's a subtle lag. There's a very subtle lag, and it makes it like Exactly, there are a lot of, right. It's, it's challenging. So I think that what I found was that there are, there are pieces of te the technology of Zoom. You have to learn how to use the Zoom technology well. So two things that I thought were very positive in terms of this, when you're doing like a frontal class, um, first of all, use the chat. The chat is, is, is an option that um, you don't have in the classroom, but that I think people are using on Zoom. And if you use it well, it can be a very nice piece, right? Where like girls either ask questions or make comments, and then the teacher can stop and read through them and respond to them. Um, so, so I think that that's something that I think is a way of using the technology that that you don't have in the classroom. Use the something that's unique about Zoom. It really can work very nicely. And the other thing are breakout rooms. Um, breakout rooms for Chavrusa, right? That's why we use breakout rooms. I don't know if people know what the Zoom technology. The Zoom an option of breakout rooms is that if you have, let's say, 30 students in your classroom, you can divide them into individual breakout rooms. So I would divide them into these groups of two and, and send them into their individual classrooms. And then they're learning um, with each other. They see each other over Zoom. They can be in two different locations. They're with each other. And they can call me as the teacher into their breakout room. I can go visit them in their breakout room. And I found that very useful. As Johnny said, not even so much. Sometimes it was they had a question about the chavrusa that I gave them. But it was more useful because it gave me an opportunity to talk to them individually one-on-one -on -one or, or one-on-two. And so I could do those, those check-ins, how are you doing, in the breakout room format. And we lost a little bit in terms of chavrusa. They weren't sitting in a base medrash. Um, you know, it, it wasn't exactly quite the same. But the advantage of the breakout rooms, I felt, was, was that it gave the teacher the opportunity to really interact with the students in a way that Zoom doesn't facilitate. Uh, the other thing I want to say is, if you're going to do a Zoom thing, I agree. I mean, if you can do this, another thing that, that the school instituted, which I thought was very, very wise, and this was at the um, the administration in consultation with some of us decided to do this, they set up what they called VODs, which means that they asked which students would be interested in this. I think the majority of the students said yes. They put them in groups of five with individual teachers. So they assigned, let's say, five girls, each got one specific teacher, and once a week they met for however long it was, half an hour, 45 minutes, and however that teacher wanted to use that time. Um, so I basically used it to process how they were doing, um, how they were feeling about being away, how they were feeling about the tension, if there was any, between the Israelis and the Americans. It was very, very good. It, gave, it, it made them feel connected, and again, as Johnny said, it gave them that individual um, it gave them that sense of that individual connection that you can theoretically lose through Zoom. I did it also with Shanabet. We had Shanabet Vav. And there also, like, I used it to, to do something I wouldn't necessarily do, which was a much, like, we did a chasidut. Um, you know, one chasidut idea, and then I asked them how, they, how it hit them, rather than, like, more formal learning. The last thing I'll say is um, special programming. And here I also want to say... Um, we were juggling two different programs, which was harder, but I saw how Shira, Shira was in Madrasha, and I was very impressed with what, what her Madrasha did, which was they really figured out very quickly how to do non-learning things, which I don't know if this is so interesting to you, because I don't, it's, you know, you're asking about learning, but like, they did Hitva Duyot, they did Kumzitzes, they did musical things, they did a lot of, they did a lot of experiential stuff, which you wouldn't necessarily think you could do over Zoom, but they did. 
right? They, and, and it worked beautifully, and it was very, very, very meaningful and important to the girls because it gave them what they were missing. The flavor of Madrasha is so much often in the experiential, in the musical. Um, and that, I think, is also a piece to remember. Again, it might not be relevant to you because you're talking purely educational, but if you're talking about bonding experiences, um, I think that's important. Okay, I want to shift gears and turn from the from the educator, I want you to put on, take off your educator hat, not, not, not literally, Molly, and put on your parent hat, okay? Mm-hmm. And I want to specifically talk about younger than, like, you know, high school and yeah. down. And as we look at, at least I can participate also, and as we look at, well, we're here from the Israeli perspective. We, all we know is, mm-hmm. like, we're, we're coming from Israel, and actually we're facing, as school is starting in two weeks, and nobody exactly knows what's happening. Many of the schools haven't, don't even have plans in place yet, which is, hard to understand. Um, uh, and I, I want to talk about how the experience, how you felt the experience was uh, as, you, as a parent. Well, let's, say, let's pick two, two grades. Uh, we'll take, um, I guess, you know, middle school, high school, and then elementary school, and how you felt. So can you give like a, just a quick, quick uh, one or two thoughts from each grade, Molly? Yeah. Okay. So my, I have a middle schooler and I have a high school. I don't have anything younger. But it was basically a disaster. Um, that's, that's what I mean. The frontal Zoom classes were a disaster. First of all, to give, to, you know, give these I, poor teachers okay, a break. Yeah, I, have to, I have to cut in. Like, poor, I, I just can't imagine being an elementary school teacher. I have a daughter who yes. was in fourth grade. And you just see these, these girls just like screaming at each other. It was just literally like <laughs> screaming at each other. Exactly. It's like also these poor teachers and also there are a lot of things which, again, you might not want to talk about this, but Israel had a lot of catch up to do. You have uh, in a lot of houses, six children and one computer. Yeah. Right. And so like the school had to be like, yeah. OK, from first to one. From my, so my daughter at a certain point, first I told her you're going to start at eight. Then they're like, no, you're not starting at eight because eight o'clock we're going to do the younger kids. We're going to start you at three. Like until they figure themselves out was was really bad. My daughter's experience with the Zoom classes were a complete waste of time. Her best learning came when they they had this thing called pedagogy. I don't know if you guys had that. And Missy Moat were put up. I could help her with them. She could sit. She could do them on her own. She could fill up the Missy Moat. She could put it on. That worked much better than my experience in the frontal Zoom classes. My feeling is America, they've got it a lot more down pat. The technology. At, at some point, they just stopped. They, they said, okay, we'll do one or two Zooms a day. Yeah. They only did and, the mornings. Right. And that, that was it. That was and like, for my that kids, was that was better. And poor my poor high school kids said, I need... He, oh, I'm just so starting into Hebrew because he speaks in, you know, for him, like it comes out in Hebrew. He said he just could not, high school, could not concentrate, it, concentrate on the Zoom classes. It was mm-hmm. like, it was, at, and this is a kid who, like, some of his favorite classes um, in school, he just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it on the Zoom. He could not focus. Um, he found it extremely challenging. The Zoom classes were not a success. So... And I think they need, I they need re- retraining, and I think that the schools have been thinking about how to do it better. I think it was like a crash, like, when there were so many issues, so many problems, and I think the schools are, let's see if they do it better, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's better. find out. I was going to yeah. say, I had, I had a, my daughter was in high school, she was a senior. One of her teachers, she, she turned her, like, window into the blackboard, and she just used the, the, the window as a dry erase marker, and she taught math. And all the girls were, like, mm-hmm. very happy about that. And, but other teachers just couldn't get it done, just couldn't get it done. Johnny, what was your experience? Well, we uh, are blessed to have five daughters, <clears throat> twins who are aged now nine, wow. up to my eldest who is 16. Uh, so we had elementary and we had middle and high school. And uh, a bit like Mali's point, certainly this issue of the quantity of tech 
was a challenge. We have, you know, one good laptop, another mediocre one, and a couple of tablets. And all of a sudden, within a certain period of time, all are needed uh, with, you know, a single Wi-Fi. Right, and then the bandwidth goes down. Now, all of that is in addition to the fact that, uh, you know, you we, we were asking Mali about her teaching hours. So I was teaching very early morning for Australian students, afternoons for my students here in Israel and evenings for my students in America. So I was, I was doubling up. And so I was basically teaching almost nonstop crazy hours. Uh, and so my, it fell a lot more my wife to have to help my daughters go through the, uh, the learning process, you know, using different computers. We had until Corona a very simple rule, which is tech doesn't go into bedrooms. The truth is Corona absolutely destroyed that. It was simply not practical to have five children <laughs> with my wife also teaching, me also teaching, all being in the same space, you know, each with, of course, classrooms making noise whilst you're trying with headphones. Sometimes it's not possible. And my youngest twins, you know, they're just trying to figure out how to look at a screen because that's quite tricky. I, I've got to take my hat off. Most of the teachers were really, really fantastic. They tried their best. They communicated their best. But nevertheless, you know, within a, a few short weeks, you had a relationship with a teacher in a classroom, and then you're looking at a screen with lots of boxes of kids trying to basically get your voice heard and not quite sure how to read the body language of a teacher who has different body language when they're on a screen. Yeah. So the older students I outside, would just younger say students. Some of them, in my experience, were not, how should we say this? The grit wasn't there in the determination to learn how to use the technology. Two, three months in, still letting, like having the kids say, wait, how do I share the screen? And what am I supposed to do? Like, I, I, I was not, I, I mean, I, there were some teachers that really adapted quickly. And then other teachers just like threw up their hands and said, like, this is an impossible situation. And, and I'm, I'm sure in America, they didn't have that at all for the very simple reason that it's private school. And there's a huge difference between private school and public school. You know, we, we, teachers are, are amazing and most of our teachers are idealistic, but you, you cannot ignore the fact that in a public school system, there are gonna be a lot of teachers that are either running out the string or they do their job and they do the best they can, but that lack of idealism, you know, you, you really had to go above, like I, I'm listening to you guys, you know, and the, the seminary teachers and, and nobody really, asked you, one second, do you want to get up at six o'clock in the morning to teach Australia and then go teach Israel? And, you know, nobody asked you. It was kind of assumed that you were going to do that. But if you think about a normal job, you know, you'd say, listen, I, I work my hours and, and that's what I do. And so I, it was interesting to me that here in Israel, I, I saw, I had that experience of teachers saying, listen, I'm a teacher in a classroom and I'm good at that, but don't expect me all of a sudden to become this tech expert. I think there might happen. be a difference also. I well, think Americans might be more techie, technical, technologically savvy overall. It might be that their classrooms are also more tech, technologically advanced. And like we also, have, one uh, more, you know, much, like much more important thing, you're, you're really the, American classes, the American classes that we know are much, much smaller. I mean, yes, I'm not, I'm not gonna correct. That, you know, the, the, they're just much, like the, when I yeah. was in Detroit, they, the, they didn't ever had a class of 20 kids. You know, and now, like, yeah. and now and you we go have Israel, 30, 35. 40. Yeah. yeah. It's just a different and again, world. you're going to expect uh, this cute little Datilumi rabbi with 18 children. I'm literally talking about one of my, maybe 17, one, one of my daughter's teachers. He doesn't know how to use the, the zoo. You know what I'm saying? He probably doesn't have internet in his house. That, but there's also, we had, there, we had teachers in our schools who didn't have internet in their homes. And yeah. 
it, it was just, and you're right, it was very difficult. Even the, and I think our teachers were very well intentioned, but like, you had young mothers when Misrata Chinuch made this ridiculous rule they can't teach from home. Once it's like officially Zoom, they had to come in and teach from the school building. Really? So when they were they made te- that rule? Yes, they made that rule. It was so difficult because we had these teachers with young kids who, when they were able to teach from home, actually managed. But once they had to go into the school building and the school building didn't have the proper tashtiot, it was just a nightmare. So. <laughs> I was going to say that I, I'm not in, I mean, this night, as you know, I'm from the UK, from not from the US, but I, I have various connections in different educational establishments. I don't think it was, uh, you know, plain sailing, certainly not in the UK and in various different places in the US. I mean, obviously, each different culture with a different understanding, expectation and investment in tech adapted as they could. However, what we have here, which is different there is we kind of like said let's just do it and we got on with it yeah, in England, it took quite a while yeah. because of the safeguarding and how to enable kids to be able to see a teacher through a camera because you know uh, of mm-hmm. obviously the concern for uh, appropriate and inappropriate behavior so all of those legal checks which are right and oftentimes corners are cut here meant that they lagged it in terms of getting their act together i would say one further thing in terms of the coming two weeks you know, uh, there are some schools who at least now say, now we know what Zoom is, but I have uh, two daughters in Ulpana, and because girls stay in school and they're having to reduce numbers per room, okay. so my daughters have been basically told, you're going to come to school for a week, and then the other week you'll stay at home. Or the other one, right, the other one, you're going to stay Every week they go in for two days and stay home for the other three days. Right. So, uh, so every school, it's important for our listeners to hear, perhaps it's similar where they live, perhaps different. But at my experience, and we've got kids in now uh, three different schools is, uh, meaning elementary, one uh, high school and a different high school is, each have very, very different um, policies and procedures. And significantly, each are going to have very different expectations of when students arrive or not. And if you're relying on travel, you may well have a school bus. That's not so guaranteed either when there are fewer numbers of students making that journey. So right now our family calendar is like what i don't know if i'm going to be taking you that day or i'm teaching that day or whether you're going to be in and whether you're not going to be in um and and it's tricky it's very very tricky wow to plan so that, that that um uncertainty principle that you're that you're mentioning for us it's interesting because from what i'm hearing like in at least in the united states so john you can tell me in england they're planning on opening which is also interesting because because from what i understand there's tremendous pressure to open it's both, it's both a, of course, educational pressure, but financial pressure as well, that you, you have to justify your existence, you have to justify your, your, your tuition, and, like, and parents are just not going to pay for another year of, of Zoom learning. And so a lot of schools are opening, and they're opening and they're making just tremendous accommodations for social distancing, and, and they, they've been working at it very hard. But they also, nobody knows, no one knows what's going to happen. You know, especially as the winter comes, the cold weather comes, is there going to be another, another wave? I mean, here it is, or we just had wave after wave. Whereas, you know, in, in, in different places, it's like I've heard now that in England is also now there's climbing numbers just as we speak today. So, so with this in mind, so I want to share with our audience and, um, and with our listeners and with the world, I guess, the a project that Johnny and I have been working on over the past few months to try that we feel will have will give schools some ability to uh, address this, uh, this project. John, you want to start and then I'll continue? And then Molly, we'd love if you would ask questions because we don't, 
We've been doing it for so long. Yeah, this is the first time uh, hearing about this. Our listeners should know. I have, don't know anything about this program. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so uh, I've actually been interested and involved in the ed tech and the Jewish ed tech world for some years. And uh, oftentimes when you talk about technological solutions, uh, what is offered is often very, very costly and quite limited. Uh, and right now, uh, schools are facing, as we said, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and what uh, Ravuvan and I were trying to come up with was an adaptable, very uh, financially reasonable model that schools can use to enable blended learning when teachers are physically present in the classroom, but also enable students to learn from home whereby they can learn from a physical teacher or from a teacher who's recorded their classes and have material to go through with a progressed and clearly structured curricula. And so what we've tried to come up with is a solution based on existing technologies using Google technology, such that a teacher in a school can say, I've got material that fits with what we're supposed to be learning, which is engaging, which you can learn at your own pace, or if you're at home, can enrich the material I'm also going to be sending you uh, that we feel is right for schools, right for kids, right for the uh, educational level of students in middle school and, and possibly high school as well, and uh, is cost effective and please God will grow in the future. Molly, is that clear or not? No, it's, I, I don't understand. It's, it's recorded classes? Okay, so I'll explain. The I'll pre-recorded explain. classes? This thing that, so I, a lot of people who know me know that I've been teaching uh, Mishnah, Mishnah Yomit for years, you know, modeled at, on a, what's called the flipped classroom model, where you're learning over YouTube. The, the idea of the flipped classroom is that instead of like the teacher teaching, let's say we're talking about math, instead of teaching math at home, you know, you're, and, and I'm sorry, excuse me, instead of teaching math in school and the teacher's teaching in the board and some kids are listening, some understand, there's different paces and whatever. So instead, in the flipped cl classroom model, you're watching a lesson and, doing, and learning the basic material at home, at night, okay? And then you're coming into school and you're doing the, the exercises together where the teacher can guide you. That's the model of the flipped classroom. And I saw this, and there was a guy named Salman Khan, and he built this thing called Khan Academy. I, you know, I think I saw it on 60 Minutes, and I was like, this is really an amazing, amazing model because you're basically, you're, the, the student can learn on their own pace. They can, they can watch it again and again. You know, it's really hopefully good, a good teacher explaining it very, very well. And, and, and students can get skills that way. And it's like, wow, this doesn't exist in the Jewish world. And since that time, so I've been doing it for Mishnah at a, at a much more like accelerated pace. You know, you can do a Mishnah in three minutes, in five minutes, but it's not a, a pace for, for educational purposes. And so I approached Johnny with this idea, and we developed this idea of creating a series courses of lessons in Judaic studies using this model, this Khan Academy model, where really you take, we're doing, we have a teacher teaching a, a course in Sefer Yehoshua, the first 10 Prakim of Yehoshua, where she's reading the text, she's giving explanation, it's divided into sections, and interspersed into those sections are questions that the students answer online. So literally a teacher can assign in Google Classroom the first lesson in Yehoshua, and the students are doing it at their own pace, and answering questions that are being graded and evaluated by their teacher. That's the idea. That's, that's the idea of the program. So we've called how it- How long is each, sorry, how long is each yeah, uh, lesson? Each that's, lesson is 10 minutes of recorded video material. Yeah, that's divided great. Into, divided into two or three sections. So you might watch two minutes, 
and then have a few questions and answer a few questions and go on to the next section. That's so great because the, the bite-sized is, is really helpful. I think that's right. Yeah. The idea is the idea is um, is that it should, a lesson should take a student about maybe 25, 30 minutes. That's the idea of the lesson, and the, the idea being that it also you don't have to be at a certain time. You know, there's only so much Zoom that you can do, and here mm -hmm. the students are getting real material and they're learning something. So we decide we talked about this not for the corona era, meaning that the, the thing that motivates me uh, quite a lot is the idea that it's very hard to teach text today, mm -hmm. harder than it ever was. I think we're all addicted to screens, as I've said many times. And I don't know about you, you could tell me, you guys see the students after 12 years of Judaic school education and, and their tech skills, even my Israeli children, the tech skills are getting worse and worse because it's very hard to focus on text. Somebody even pointed out to me that even in the curriculum uh, goals today of Jewish day schools, they don't focus on text very much. The text is a springboard for ideas and, and understanding and connections to material. But that lack of ability to read the text, it, it, it's, it's very much limiting. If a student over the 12 years of Jewish education isn't forced to read the text and really struggle with it, they're not gonna have those tools later on in life, which is true. But, but if you can give them though that material, if you can say, okay, I'm gonna read the Mishnah for you. We're gonna focus on the Shorashim. You're gonna answer a couple of questions and you could do it at your own pace. And oh, I didn't catch that word. So you go back and watch the video again. That's so powerful because then when they come to class the next day, then the teacher can say, okay, who understood the Mishnah? What did you get? What did you miss? And then what did we learn from the Mishnah? They can move on, not having to focus that time on text. So we, we, we designed this basically for the non-Corona era, thinking about it, but now realizing, wow, this could be an incredibly important tool for schools that need online material, they need digital learning, but it can't be Zoom because there's only so much Zoom you can do. So, you can, mm -hmm. so a teacher can assign and say, okay, I want you to do, you know, I want you to do this section, lesson four in Shemot, and then we're going to come back and discuss it, or we won't discuss it. You know what I'm saying? It's real Judaic material. Uh, and what, what, I, what I think what a lot of teachers discovered is the secular teachers, and even our Israeli counterparts, they went online and they're like, oh, look at all these videos I have, and look at all this brain pop, and there's all this amazing material. And the poor Judaic studies teachers, like, oh, yeah, like, here's a few sheets from chinuch.com. You know, okay, go print out the sheets and, and do them yourself. And there's this imbalance. So Johnny and I are working on building this platform. We call it Kita, kita.org. And this platform is available for schools, not for free, but it's available for schools to enable them to have real quality digital Judaic material that they can then deploy on a school-wide basis as much as they want in the courses that we're offering. I think clear? it's great. Yeah, and I think I'll tell you what I think is great about it. When I said that it's hard for my students to listen to a shear, it's because it was developed. They were hearing a shear being given to students in a classroom, forty-five minutes. What you're developing sounds to me very, very um, digestible, and also very similar to their, these. These are students who are going on YouTube and watching these things anyway. As mm -hmm. you said, right? That's what they're doing. They're going and they're watching these. So shows, some of them are uh, informative and educational, some are just entertainment, but they do this anyway. And I also, I find it very interesting that like, I have students, I have clients actually who are like, yeah, you know how I learned about relationships? Um, I, you know, watched this series on, uh, on YouTube, whatever so, they gave me. So it's really so, interesting. So they're used, used to, to this before and it's corona, great. Before Corona, I used to think I, that the, my only concern about YouTube or learning on video was like, I wondered, 
Like when you go on a screen, then your brain just kind of turns off because you're programmed uh, like, okay, entertain me. Yeah, but it's now, not true. Yeah. Now it's not true anymore. Now people are sort of shifting and they can watch something and learn it. You know, but just to take the idea of using this and having the text in front of you, yeah. you know, I, I think it's an incredibly powerful I thing. I want to add one more thing. Just Sorry, yeah. just one more thing, just to support what you're saying, which is, so now I just said it's good that they're short, but I think one of the other things people are learning from YouTube, um, this is something that I discovered, uh, they're talking about like the death of mainstream media, legacy media, and people are getting a lot more information from YouTube. And to people's surprise, people are willing to sit and watch a long-form interview with somebody on highly intellectual ideas, um, really deep conversations for an hour, an hour and a half. People are willing to, to, to do that. You might have thought, no, there's no way they're going to do that. So, to everybody's surprise, it actually is happening, and it's happening on YouTube. And I think, I think um, you know, the idea that, like, oh, my gosh, there's only this very short attention span. And so, like, you know, like on, on your mainstream media television channels, you'll interview somebody for five minutes, get some sound bites, and that's it. People are actually turning to YouTube for deeper lectures. So I, I want to just balance what I said before. There is a way to give information digitally that can be very useful. It's well, interesting. Now kids, if they ever if they want to know something, my son is a musician and he taught mm -hmm. himself to play bass guitar over YouTube. He yeah. literally, I mean, he's a talented musician, but anything, you know, he is our, Johnny will tell you, he's our creative director. He did all our videos. He did our did logos. Everything he knows how to do, he just learned on YouTube. So, so kids are yeah. kids are very They're much very adaptable used to, to that. this. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the challenge is we're doing it in text and uh, that's a little bit slower. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't believe that kids will go and sit in front of a Mishnah and learn a Mishnah. Very, very few kids will do it. But in the context of school, in the context of learning, if you're given a unit to do and there's a breakup and you have there's evaluations in between, we feel we really found a very good, very good, uh, very good recipe that we hope will be very well received by the schools. Johnny, what do you want to add? Well, I think that's exactly the point. You know, outside of my teaching of SEMS and some of the work we're doing, I'm a I'm a Jewish education consultant. I work for various different schools around the world. And uh, some schools have this insistence that a class must be 50, 55 minutes, sometimes an hour and sometimes longer. And there are other schools I work with that have classes which are 30, 35 minutes. And when initially when you think about that amount of time, you say, really, what can you learn in such a short amount of time? And the answer is, once you realize you have 30, 35 minutes, you're very, very clear about what you can learn. And you work on learning just that. You don't try and bite off more than you can chew. And I think in terms of Kitan, the classes that we've recorded, we've planned, we've laid out uh, with other teachers as well, what we've done here is to say, uh, if somebody's learning through this medium, presuming they're going to sit down at a computer for 20 to 30 minutes, what can we cover? We're not going to try and cover, you know, 50 psukim. That would be crazy. We're going to cover a few psukim in depth, understanding what the words mean, understanding the shalashim, using technology to actually slow down the, the speed of coverage to increase and to enrich the depth of understanding. And because students are empowered to start and stop, actually what they do is they come out and say, wow, I now understand how to read that Pasuk. I now understand how to read that Rashi or that Mishnah. I now understand a little bit more of those events precisely because we didn't rush through uh, because the teacher felt we had so much time we had to cover so many psukim. We took a half an hour and we covered three, four, five psukim, but we did it well. And I felt that I was in control of that learning. And, and, and at least finally for me right now is 
Each time a student learns from this medium, the teacher's looking right at the student. Ironically, even though they're not in the same classroom, there is that eye-to-eye -eye contact. If you're in a regular classroom, of course, when you have those relationships, that's even better. So you can afford not to be looking eye-to-eye -eye in every single student. That's not always possible. But especially where a student is learning online and may not necessarily know that teacher, feeling that sense of connection is crucially powerful. And so rather than a class of 30 students learning from some random lecturer, each feel that they've got almost a private tutor coaching them through the learning and giving them the material they can respond to, which their actual teacher is involved with, looking through their responses. So it becomes a resource which supports teachers who are right now currently very, very overburdened with lots of uncertainty, a resource for families, and obviously a resource for students. Yeah, I like to say it's very low-tech ed tech, meaning it's not, we don't do bells and whistles, not graphics. It's using technology that's available in order to do, do good education, in order to do very, to educate in a very powerful way. And um, we're excited about it. Johnny, if somebody would listen to this and say, well, how do I get it? How do they get it? Uh, they go to, is it kita.org? I'm quite sure that's our website. <laughs> kita.org. Find... Molly's Googling it right now. <laughs> okay. okay. We, have yeah. a face, we, we have a Facebook page um, uh, and they can write to yourself or myself and, and find out more about the product. It's not only is it a resource for schools and administrators, heads of Judaic studies, teachers should contact us, but it's also a resource for families. We have Kita for families. Uh, and uh, if that's something that a family would like to know a little bit more about, how this can enrich a student who wants to uh, have further learning opportunities, they should also be in contact with us. Wow. Okay. Thanks very much. If you are listening, you got this far, and you know someone who you think would be relevant for, please share it with them as well. As we're just getting the word out, it's something we're very excited about and uh, very happy to share with you. Okay, um, I want to thank Molly Brodsky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon for sharing with us. It's definitely going to be a challenging year moving forward, but it's, it's very inspiring for me to hear such dedicated educators such as you, your dedication to your students, and I think that's something that's actually in a chama to parents who are looking at this year saying, what's going to be? Most teachers that I know have that level of dedication to Mesirut Nefesh. And I think that's a credit to our, that's a credit to our, our, our education system. You know, we did our video. Mali, you can watch our video. The thing that I, I say at the very beginning is I really, I, I started the video by saying Jewish studies teachers are heroes. They really are. Because mm -hmm. they, they work out of a sense of desire, of Mesirut Nefesh, of, of, of Devar Hashem, and they could make a lot more money doing a lot of other things. Nonetheless, they, their dedication to their students and their dedication to their craft is, is something that, that's worth, worthwhile to praise and, uh, and appreciate. Okay, so thanks very much. Have a good week, everybody.